In five, four, three, two, one. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Moon Tea Podcast. Today we have Julia Berryman. Hey, welcome. Yay. Hey. Hi. Thanks for welcoming me on oh this God. last minute podcast appearance. It's very exciting. <laughs> uh, yes. for, for those in the audience, I don't know if you can tell, but Julia and Hugh are siblings. <laughs> and uh, I've, I've met Julia once, uh, I think a few years back, uh, dinner in Pasadena when Hugh, Hugh just like called me. He's like, I'm in Pasadena, come. And then I, and then I came and then, uh, yeah. But yeah, that was what, three years ago? Something like that? Yeah, probably was three years ago. Yeah, it's yeah. got to be after 2017, probably before 2019. Yeah. So 2018, oh, 2019. 18 or 19, yeah. probably. Yeah, yeah, we had great noodles. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we did. And you I gave did. me a ride in your car. And that was like <laughs> my first like Tesla experience. And it was very dramatic and very fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think that was when I just got it. So I was like, I was very much, I was very much like, I want everyone to know about this car. <laughs> oh, man. Those are good days. Those are good days. What What are you doing in Arizona? Um, just visiting fam, hanging out. Um, I feel like, yeah, it's the holiday season. So there's more and more excuses to come, come hang out. Um, yeah, nothing crazy. Been doing some dancing, been getting ice cream and burritos, been playing with our cat. It's been a good life. Yeah, it's been good. Yeah, doing stuff shows. with the parents. It's been nice. Yeah, just all the things. Working from home. Yeah, co-working. Mm-hmm. Had a very efficient co-working session mm-hmm. today. Learning about finance. Yep. All of it. Yep. Just, it all happens. Just one day at a time, you know? <laughs> wow. Amazing. Pickleball? Oh! Pickleball last night? Actually... I feel like the now the future reason why I will be returning is to play pickleball <laughs> with you and his friends. That sport is very fun. And it's not so complicated that I feel like it like unable to learn it. Like it's it's straightforward enough to like pick it up and not feel foolish. Um and have fun. So yeah, pickleball. I'm into it. It's a good sport. Yeah, uh, it's a good sport. I I heard about pick, like people have been mentioning pickleball on like this is like the third independent occasion. <laughs> Dude, I honestly think it's going to be one of the most popular sports in America in five years. Ooh, heard Whoa. it on this podcast. Whoa, you heard it here first. <laughs> I'd, I'd probably bet money on it. That, like it has the, one of the largest and most dynamic age range sets of players that can play against each other competitively, young to old. And also it's like the mid size or two fifths, the size of a tennis court. So it's like if ping pong and tennis had a baby, it turned into pickleball. And yeah, I think the, the, like I got Julia, we got Julia up to speed to play competitively within about an hour and she was gaming hard and was (laughs) zoned in and her quads are sore. She I'm was in squat. Sore. She was ready. She's like badminton. No, it's not badminton, but close. Let's go. <laughs> that was fun. Good time. 
she beat me at the end. I'm very disappointed in myself. Yeah. My, yeah, it's two on two usually. Yeah, he was slacking. Sometimes yeah. I think he tries to be too impressive. So be like, yeah. I'm gonna do this cool thing. And yeah. then it's it's just not as cool. I, you know, I, I just, I really, really, you know, yesterday highlighted again that I'm just an average mediocre person <laughs> at life and I should not try. <laughs> no, he was better. He's good. Uh, other than the- preposterous. Uh, <laughs> if you he is very average if you forget the collegiate swimmer uh, i know like mvp high school champion started started in freshman year just rose to fame yeah like, he if you would, forget all that yeah totally yeah if you cut that out like in college for those who don't know i was we went to the claremont colleges and so hugh was a freshman when i was a senior and it was like having a younger sibling who is like Mr. Popular. And they're like, oh, your brother? He's so cool. Oh, he's a swimmer, isn't he? And I'm like, how do you know him? How do you know me? Like, so yeah, I was like the uncool senior sister who was just like trying to like graduate. And then I had this like swim God for a relative kind of strutting. And people would be like, oh, I saw your brother at a party yesterday. I was like, great. You don't need to tell me those details. Let him enjoy his life. So yeah. Those were his pre-average days, and now and it's now, pickleball. Look at me now. <laughs> hey, hey, Q, you don't undersell yourself. You, you co-host a podcast with thirty-eight subscribers, so. Dude, so. you know, I honestly, I bet it's gonna become thirty-nine because I'm pretty sure Julie's not even a subscriber yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did I say that out loud? I'm so sorry. My fault. I just I don't really subscribe to YouTube. Oh, things. my fault. Oh, no, she's no. not too cool. It's not like we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor as well. Ooh, shoot, did I do that? <laughs> hey, no pressure. <laughs> she's like, so what do you guys talk about? I was like, <laughs> we literally talk about anything. And I was like, really? I'm gonna write lists. I'm like. No, I've, well, I've listened to like two episodes, but that's not a lot of information, you know, because you've obviously had a lot of different guests. So it was cool. She listened yeah. to Jackie's and Mike's and Dr. Mike's. So yeah, was good. Oh, yeah. uh, cool. Yeah. Right on. Um, yeah, no, I'll just quickly introduce Julia a bit. You know, she's a pretty decent sister growing up. You know, <laughs> she, she, you know, only kicked me in the face once or twice. She was a black belt in Taekwondo and thought she was way cooler than me. And I was annoying her and she went, Ka, pya, and she punched me in my room up there in her room. No, I'm just kidding. Erase this. I, I like, I did, is this on record? I like how Hugh frames this as if he wasn't like, a, like this laughter, like in, in Chinese or like in Mandarin, like there's this word, it's like Mimi Yanjing, which is like squinty, naughty, mischievous eyes. And we would call him Mimi Yanjing because he'd be like, I would be brushing my teeth like a good child getting ready for bed. And then this kid would come like prowling in with his like, engine and he'd be like, Rawr! and I would like spit everywhere. And then there'd be screaming and like fighting. And my dad would be downstairs and be like, children, children, <laughs> settle, down. <laughs> settle down. Stop making a racket. Yeah, he was evil. So him <laughs> saying that I punched him in the face, which is quite likely, but provocation so he started oh, it i see eye yes. for an eye eh? huh. <laughs> eye for an mm. eye i thought you were supposed to be the better and, one and also mm. he was also in taekwondo so it's not like he couldn't defend himself divided by like two in age no all right anyways Any okay. so <laughs> so we digress <laughs> anyways my sister is very cool and yeah i think 
something that Julie has been really uh, amazing about has been dedicating herself to trying to help others. And she's been really working on the entrepreneurial track to become, uh, you can correct me a bit if I'm wrong here, but like a, a modern form of like art therapists and therapists and helping people out and coaching uh, in certain ways, spiritually and physically as through dance and certain practices. And yeah, it's been really interesting. Julia was a Fulbright in Malaysia, stayed there for a year or two. And, you know, definitely is a smarter brain on, on her head, you know, growing up, but nowadays I, we can compete. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, yeah, so she, she's done a lot of really cool things. And I think she has a lot of opinions, whether they're good or bad, I don't know. And we'll find out. No, I'm just kidding. So <laughs> it's actually really cool. Last time we went on a road trip with some friends and I, Julia was talking to to Julie and Thomas that we had on recently and you know she was just so passionate about what she does and it was one of the first moments where I was like okay cool like she's really onto something she's learning more by the day and you know just taking it as it comes and is an amazing west coast swing dancer and dancer of all different types as well and uh, polyglot polymath polymath of many different things and yeah so we can talk about pretty much anything and She's traveled many places more than me. Even it's so sad. She's traveled way more. Dude, you barely like left Arizona, dude. It's so upsetting. It really is. Like, she, wait, did you have a number? You've been. I think I've been about like eighteen. I countries. don't like you. I counted it actually because I was feeling. Oh, like I think I think it was twenty twenty where I was like, I haven't left my room in mm. ages, and then I had to think positively and be like, wait, I've had some good life experiences. Mm. These are the places. My I name is Julia, and I'm privileged. <laughs> And I'm special. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, but yeah, no, I think you, you're pretty awesome. Feel free. Take the mic that we're here to just kind of talk and do whatever on this show. So, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm open to talking about many different topics. Yeah, um, yeah. I'll continue the introduction. Yeah, just to, go for it. And then you guys can, you know, move where you want to go. So let's see. Um, I'm a passionate artist. So all that really I do good. is really, I feel like a lot of my MO is around creative expression and what does it mean to fully express yourself and embrace your inner artist. And I know that for so many of us as kids, we were inherently creative and sparkly and did all the things and experimented. And then over time, life sort of comes at you, <laughs> punches you in the um and kind of tells you you're not a creative person you're not a smart person you're not this you're not that and then over time we get these boxes and confines of who we think we are that are just frankly not true and not particularly helpful um so a big part of what I love helping people do is peel back those layers so that they can be more of themselves and live life more joyfully and connect with all of their emotions and understand what it means to be like a full human living the full spectrum of life um, versus thinking like you have to be socialized and like live in this box because like why else were we born in this earth other than to like truly experience um, all that is to offer and to support each other in community and friendship and love because humans should not be like isolated beings. <laughs> Right, even our siblings, we should sometimes support our siblings. Um, so I think that's, I infuse that in a lot of what I do in terms of coaching, um, in terms of I create um, intuitive paintings for people, helping them figure out their purpose and see the best aspect of themselves. 
Um, I also co-founded a program for um, Asian Pacific Islander Asian Pacific Islander Americans around social empowerment, social justice, healing, emotional support, community. So I feel like a lot of these different threads sort of come come together in random ways in what I do. And I also play pickleball competitively now. Yeah. <laughs> I was using my left hand. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> yeah, so that's just a, I think, an intro spiel. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. weren't you in like the New York Times or something or like Wired Cutter? Yeah, I mean, the... Uh, someone from the Wired Cutter interviewed me, but it's been put on delay. Oh, man. I know. So it's like, hello, New York Times, get it together. Get it together. Watch this podcast and clearly you should publish that piece. <laughs> oh, yeah. They watch this. They're going to be like, yeah, let's uh, postpone that even more. <laughs> like, oh, Thank you. Well, we caught that one early. Oh, she's a weirdo. So, you know, and I love... I think it's really important for us to like embrace our inner weirdo. Like, why do things have to be so serious all the damn time? Tell right? me about what happened to you when you grew up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there we are. <laughs> I, I, I admire the, uh, I, can, I can see your creative like muscles and all that creativity at work. Whereas Hugh and I are, we're, we're the ones in the boxes and we're the ones that were, that are part of the system. No, uh, but you know, but the thing is like, I, I like, don't believe that. Right. Cause like literally like Hugh was bragging to me about you guys and you know, your little intros and they're like cute and colorful and sort of nicely edited. Like, like that verbatim quote unquote, cute and colorful. Yeah. <laughs> and he had like one had like an Arizona theme. Like I've looked at the aesthetic, so I have paid attention to this podcast in that respect, but you know, so I feel like people do a disservice of themselves, especially folks who work like in tech or corporate or business. And they're like, I'm not creative. And it's like, no, you use creativity every day to solve problems. Even like the art of conversation on these calls, like that is creative expression at work interplaying with each other. So so do not talk yourself down, my friend. You are a creative human being. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> you, did you hear that? We're practicing the art of, of what did you like call it? Creative conversation. Is that indeed something around there? Yes. Yeah, the la layering really of is. conversation and creativity. Because because I think the problem is that, and you might find this in your respective industries, is right, like in the pursuit of professionalism or excellence people lose track of the fact that anything great that has been made has required a lot of failure and a lot of failure requires like a certain strength of self, but it doesn't have to be miserable, right? Being playful, letting yourself make mistakes, having spaces to be creative, to like not be perfect. I think that is actually the recipe for really great industries and ideas and tech and like all of these places. Um, and so I think it's just a matter of within the system, it's like, great, there's a box. Now color within that box because there's a lot of colors that you can use. Like it doesn't have to confine you. Wow. That's amazing. Julia's not passionate. <laughs> I mean, you should probably ask questions. Or I'm just going on long speeches about various <laughs> yeah, uh, things. <laughs> yeah, uh, Julia, do you mind sharing about your like, creative journey and and like your career path and kind of like uh we, we like Hugh and you kind of talked about where you are today um but can you share like how like what steps you took to get to where you are and um 
like what that was like for you? Yeah. I I think it always it starts with like as a child, I I always knew I was an artist. Um, my mom and dad have this funny story where I was drawing, I was probably four or something very young, and this lady comes up to me and asks, Oh, look what you're drawing. Are you an artist? And apparently my four-year-old self looks up at her and says, I am an artist, and then goes back to drawing. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, so there's a part of me that knew, like that knew who she was. Um, and you know, I, I would write like short stories. I had a best friend at the time. We would like write these stories and like the BFF chronicles, and like it would be me and her like holding hands, going on adventures. We'd like, illustrate it. I would like dance around. So I did a lot of creative things. I learned, I taught myself how to sew and like made my mom this like really hideous bunny rabbit that because I didn't know how to sew and she still has it by her bed and it's really ugly. But oh, um, <laughs> I always just thought that was trash. She never threw <laughs> out. <laughs> um yeah it was at the age where I didn't know that sewing people you like sew the seams and you pop it inside out so you can't see the seams. Um I didn't know that as a kid. So it's like it's a very wonky piece of work. Um yeah, and then growing up, I would make presents for people by like drawing coasters and knitting and all of these things. So I was always getting involved in creative activities. Um, but, you know, I feel like our society wants people to be productive and to survive. Like you have to make a living and being in an immigrant household, immigrant family household, which you might understand as well. You know, there's a strong attitude toward work ethic and practicality and, and doing you know, the big three jobs of being a doctor or a scientist, uh, maybe not a scientist, no, doctor, lawyer, maybe engineer. Like there's like a few options that are worthy. And then um, being an artist is like, that's, that's nice, but that's not practical. So um, that was certainly a message that I experienced. I don't necessarily fault my parents for that, right? They're just trying to be supportive humans. And as a young creative navigating the world there are a lot of messages that were internalized that were like this part of you that you love so much that is a part of who you are you you cannot express that because that's not seen as valuable in society right or in our current social structures so there was a certain amount of internalized suppression that happened because of that um and so I turned to other things like I I tried to um go down the academic achievement a path. I know that many folks might relate to that. Like, how can I get straight A's and achieve and, you know, learn all these subjects that schools and whatever tell me are supposedly important um, and master those because somehow achieving those standards will get me this like golden egg of safety, of money, of whatever that is. Um, so yeah, I, I spent many years of my life pursuing academic achievement. Um, yeah, went to, went to college and, you know, kind of held the complexity of, you know, I went to a liberal arts college. So in some ways people are like, oh, what do you do there? Um, but I went to a, a liberal arts women's college, which is why Hugh thinks I'm too opinionated. I don't, not used to though. Scripts, 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 scripts. Scripps College represent. Yeah, it's a fair um, shout out. They did a good job. But but I am. Yeah, beautiful. Oh Goodness. I yeah. don't think you can beat it. Really. Yeah, you know, but but it's one of those things where it was one of those really profound experiences where, like, yes, I was still kind of on the like 
academic achievement treadmill, even going through, you know, an intense academic institution like that, but also being surrounded by other women in leadership where literally all the leadership was women, all the people in charge of the clubs, clubs are women, right. Or trans students. Um, and that I realize is incredibly unique, right? Cause if we look around at the folks in charge and yes, there's shifts in a, in a lot of different industries, um, but that's actually not the case. And I realized like that imprinting was particularly important on my journey in terms of understanding that I, as a woman, have something valuable to say, um, something important to contribute. And that instead of needing to take a step back, right, or like be like sweet and demure and like all of those things, like my ideas are important. Um, and so I think that was a seed that was very important for determining kind of the rest of my trajectory around really believing in sort of this idea of human empowerment, right? And what does it mean to support people who may not, you know, might have learned to doubt themselves, you know, whether women or not, I work with a lot of different people now, but to help them see that their voice matters, right? Their unique ideas matter, their um, life paths matter. Um, and so as someone who has not had a traditional path after college, I, so I majored in French, minored in art history, both of which were not useful career paths, <laughs> according to my mom. So I was still a little bit rebellious, but still in the system. Um, I went to Malaysia, I taught English, and then I kind of trained the, the Fulbrighters coming in and sort of was like managing that whole thing and was doing like diplomatic work with like the US embassy and the Malaysian Ministry of Education. Um, and at that point, it was like, that was a combination of, you know, cross-cultural understanding and empowerment and helping young people and like lifting them up. And what does it mean to, to use English as a form of connection versus sort of, you know, American imperialism as historically happened. So um, yeah, so from that stage, a lot of learnings in Malaysia, we can talk about that. It's like a wonderful place, a lot of adventures. But from that spot, it was like, a period of so much soul searching because I had many friends who had very um, straight paths. Like one of my dear friends, she's like a full-time doctor now. Like she's always known, right? She took the classes, she went to med school, she did the thing, awesome. And I have never been that person. I've always been someone who has had sort of the passion to help people or to engage and connect and see the best in people. But that doesn't equate to a specific career choice, right? Um, and so in many ways, living in Malaysia, sitting in the jungle, kind of thinking on my life, like alone, um, I thought a lot about life and like what I wanted and, and study different sort of spiritual traditions um, in addition to the one that I grew up with. Um, and at that point discovered, going through a lot of soul searching, I discovered life coaching and it's, it was kind of more of a new, it's not it wasn't like a new industry. I think it was like really obscure, maybe 15, 20 years ago. And in the past decade start has started picking up steam. And maybe in the past five years, the industry is really um, exploding. Um, but I, I watched the summit and heard the person who ended up becoming my first teacher, <laughs> who my family was a little upset with when I ended up studying with them and thought I had joined a cult, but that's another story. But I ended up watching this person and being like, 
oh, like something this person is saying about living life right to the fullest and like sharing our gifts spoke to me. And so I ended up going on this really intensive retreat in Bali and like crying and processing trauma and like addressing some like really profound wounds um, and traumas felt that I really had. really guilty about punching me growing up. <laughs> I, 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 that was exactly what I felt. All yeah. my sister guilt, all the sister guilt. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> um, but it was, it was an incredibly eye-opening experience because I, I started to come to terms with the many ways that I had shut myself down. Like there are aspects of myself that I had loved and because it didn't quite fit in with whatever people had expected of me, I like dimmed it down and was like, that's not acceptable and not this. And it just kind of got boxed away. And that experience opened me up to being like, wow, there's a different way of me showing up. There's a different way of connecting with other humans. In this experience, there was maybe maybe 18 other people. It's kind of an intimate space. And each of them were going through their own like healing transformational journeys, but we were able to share openly with each other some of the like deepest, darkest secrets and traumas that we had gone through and just be like, be with there with each other. And so I think that was so profound because I saw how someone could create a space where people could do individual healing and introspection, but do it in community and learn that, oh, wait, me sharing these darker parts of myself, these sadder parts of myself, these more sparkly parts of myself, I can be safe doing that in relationship to other humans. And so that I think really set a blueprint of, you know, some of the things that I do now, which is a lot of community work and community circles, many of which were online last year, but eventually I would love to do a lot more in-person stuff. Um, yeah, and we can talk more about that later, but essentially that was a critical moment of seeing a different way of operating in the world. Um, and then to cut this just a little short, but to give the rest of the zigzag, because I'm a zigzaggy person and it kind of offends people in my life who are like, why can't you just do that? I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Um, and so coming back from Malaysia, I wanted to be a life coach. Um, I didn't have the money to do it. So um, I did like a crowdfunding campaign. Um, I got some loans and I got a job at a furniture design company through a connection. And then I ended up working in the furniture industry for like three years, like paying my way through life coaching. Like I never thought I'd work in furniture. Mm -hmm. um, and it was this incredible thing where like, you know, I'm not sure exactly about the demographic who listens to this um, podcast, but I think so many of us, you know, go through these phases of exploration and even people who are on linear paths, like you can never predict what life is throwing at you, right? And the opportunities that come in your way. And I will say that working in the furniture industry, I was able to rewire the parts of my like scripts, liberal arts self, who is like, you know, feminist social justice queen. Not that that's not a, still a huge part of my, my heart, but there was a part of that liberal arts education that in some ways dismissed the power of business, right? And the power of money-making organizations. And by working closely with my boss, I saw a businessman who was not an evil dickhead, right? He was not an asshole, right? And that was sort of the, the brainwashing from an educational experience that is highly intellectual and perhaps idealistic. And I don't 
say there's something wrong with that, but I do think it's not always practical for just real world humans who even in a business like this boss of mine was able to provide jobs for people, right? He was even able to design furniture, which maybe you're like, ha furniture, but these are objects in people's homes that provide comfort and beauty and often like your couch is the hub where you sit and have game night or watch movies or whatever. And so these are actually objects that this person who was making money off of them, it was actually serving a purpose. And so I will say that I never envisioned myself working in the furniture industry, but in it, you know, I learned that there can be so much beauty in business and commerce and exchange um, and having a more pragmatic view on things is really, really important. Um, you know, and at the time I got to experience, you know, really interesting things like the designer culture. And I ended up kind of working my way up the business and was like in charge of sales and marketing. And we had this head designer and it's all about like Pantone color of the year and which threads in this pillow. And like, as an artist who had, you know, historically had worked with paintbrushes to, to look at people obsessing over threads in a fabric, you know, and just see there are so many different ways to understand beauty, right? So even like Hugh doing his app design, like, yeah, he's not making a painting, but the idea of aesthetics and beauty and things being streamlined and connecting together, like there is an art to that, right? And even, you know, being very obsessive about your like exact font and spacing, right? There is an art to that. Um, and so it, it was fun, you know, in the furniture industry to discover this world of relating to creativity and commerce and all of these things that was totally different um, from what I'd done before. And now, yeah. Um, I'll do the final two things. So there's literally so many things. I'm like, I go in this long speech, but my life has been very zigzaggy. Um, and so in the time that was happening, I was kind of doing coaching on the side and figuring stuff out. I like for a while was teaching public speaking to women and like, how can you do it in a more empowering way for women specifically? Um, and then I also expanded my coaching into the realm of sort of sexuality, because I realized that after having done a lot of mental, emotional work and spiritual work around from life coaching and all of that, I realized that in, on the sexual front, there was a lot of my relationship to my own body as a woman, as a human being in um, a society that is not often kind to women's bodies or anyone's bodies for that matter. Like I held a lot of stuff. And so I went through this sex, love and relationships coaching program. Once again, that was an upheaval in the Berryman household as my family was like, what are you doing? Now, now, she's, joining a, now she's joining a sex cult. <laughs> exactly. You know, and there was a reason I did not this time around, I did not tell my dad the name of my teacher because I did not want him to look up her YouTube videos, which also explicitly like help people thrive sexually in the bedroom. And it was like, I don't really need my dad seeing those videos. So I was like, we're looking, and we were, we were reading like psychological texts and there's a lot of therapy behind it. And I was like, yeah, we're reading these books that are very intellectual. <laughs> um, but that, that opened up a different world of like, kind of just expanding, right? Human expression, you know, once again, we're talking about that box, but like sexuality, our bodies, how we inhabit this vessel, like those taboo parts are so important to like who we are as humans. And we often shunt them aside and they are often spaces of such great 
pain, right. And hurt and isolation and shame. And so once again, I was like exploring, like, what are the places I hold shame in myself and shut down? Um, and so, yeah, so for a while I was like, I'm now a sex coach. And everyone was like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, but eventually over the time, like past three years, I've been sort of full-time as a coach initially was doing more sexuality stuff and supporting people that way. But in the process realized that, you know, I really like the creative expression aspect. And I feel like expression is like the umbrella for all things. So sometimes sexuality comes in there, but I'm not, some of my colleagues are like talking about orgasms every day. That's not my daily, <laughs> daily topic, though. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So now it's just, I bring all of these different dimensions into, you know, teaching workshops that bring dance, body movement, breath work, somatic healing, emotional healing, mindset, all of this stuff. Um, yeah. So people can kind of explore themselves and feel more excited about life and feel courageous because you got to be courageous. Life is, life is a shit show. So, and then you also just created some awesome art, intuitive art oh, pieces. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, that's true. <laughs> I feel this is a really long speech. This is fantastic. No, this is <laughs> this is a place to have a really long speech. <laughs> that is true. The point the point of a podcast is to talk and use your words a lot. Um, got it. Um, and so the other dimension, right? It's 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 just really about like I think that right. Even earlier, you were like, oh, I'm not as creative, but like all of us have so many facets of who we are, right? And I think the problem of the box is that it just says we are this one facet of the box versus like all of these different things. Um, and so the other dimension is that we're talking about that art part, that four-year-old me. And I think this is good because this comes full circle. Even when, right, when I was doing furniture design, like art came into it. I was doing all the spreadsheet stuff. And then my, my boss was like, oh man, we need to design some new sofas. Like, can you draw them? So I started sketching designs, you know? And so art would show up in there. Um, and then even when I was coaching, when I coach people often as a very visual person, I will sort of get images in my head about what's going on with them or just like stuff will come up in my head. And I started realizing that yeah, I could just see things about people that may not be as obvious. Um, and so some of my, my colleagues were like, uh, maybe about five years ago, they're like, you have a gift, you know? Like my friend had this dream and she was like, I had a dream as a message for my friend, can you paint something for me? And I was like, wow, this, I've never done that before, but I'll do it. And she just kind of described the dream. And then I spent some time, you know, thinking about it and then one day like got out this you know art materials and like my charcoals and whatever and I just like made this drawing painting and when she saw it she was like that was my dream like that this whirlpool the sword this like ship going she's like that is exactly what was in my dream like I don't know how you captured that but that is what I experienced um and so from that point I started experimenting and I think this is you know, the message for whoever is of the 38 humans who listen to this podcast, though maybe it will be thousands after I've showed up here. Um, <laughs> but like, you just never know how your gifts will unfold, right? There is this, there's an inkling I knew as a kid that I always knew that I got socialized out of, that I had to reclaim. But like with this painting drawing that my friend asked me to do, it like opened the door 
to exploring like, what is this different way of sharing this gift that I have of art making to serve people's healing? Um, and so some of my other colleagues were like, okay, I want you to draw me or make me a painting of like the message my soul needs to hear, like, go for it. And I was like, that face exactly. <laughs> I know. Never do double chins on videos, but now everyone can screenshot my double chin. Are we pretty? <laughs> that should be the thumbnail. <laughs> All right. Oh, oh gosh, let's not. That was ugly. That, yeah, that is not. Ooh. Those are. I can't edit. I'm sorry. I don't know what to do. Okay. Anyways. Um. <laughs> That's we can edit if you want. No, I don't. I honestly full expression. The expression of my chins are very. I wasn't going to edit anyway, Julia. Okay, next. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but um, so at the time, and so this person is like, "What does my soul need to hear?" Um, and I was like, "Okay, challenge accepted." Um, and so I like created a painting for her, and then she received it, and then you know later got in touch with me, and at first was like. Yeah, first she was like, at first I like wasn't sure, you know, what this meant. And then the more I looked at it, the more I realized this is exactly what I, I needed to see in this moment. And I also wrote a description of what I thought the symbolism was um, as an art historian major. Like all I did was just analyze art. So I was like, this is how I've analyzed my own art piece for your benefit. Um, and so over time, I would have friends reach out to me to do these intuitive painting commissions. Um, and the same, the, one of these people who originally commissioned me, she's commissioned me maybe four times now. So like every year or two, she's like, I'm ready for my next soul message. Like, give it to me. And it's always been something different. It's often very surprising what comes through. Um, but it's always, yeah, it's always unique. So now the, the offering that I do, they're called soul essence portraits. And it kind of combines the fact that when I talk to people, I don't know, I just see, I see their potential, right? Like I see their beauty and their spark and their joy. And so many of us are blind to that. And, you know, when I listen to people talk about what they're passionate about, whether it's in my industry or not, like any industry, when you can hear passion in someone's voice, you know, like that is so exciting, you know? And so I'll do these portraits now where I talk to someone um, and we kind of explore, like, what are they, working through in life? What are they struggling with? You know, what's kind of holding them back, but also like, what's the best version of their, themselves, right? Who are they dreaming of really showing to the world or creating? Um, and so then I'll make these, these portraits of, you know, a version of themselves that they're stepping into. And um, yeah, the, the responses are really profound. Like I'm still working through it. It still feels, um, it can be vulnerable to share uh, parts of yourself that are just like inherent parts of yourself, which is why I think a lot of people don't do it. You know, like, um, you know, you can tell like a great singer, you know, and some singers that like Adele is just like, you can just see her body, like express like the anguish or the, the sadness or the pain. Right. And there's a certain amount of vulnerability that takes because like, that is her voice. Like that is her gift. And it's so personal. And when someone shuts that down, Ugh, like the pain of that shutdown. Cause it's not like, oh, I didn't do good on a math test. It was like your voice, who you are sucks. And that is why it's so scary. And so with these art pieces, you know, it's taken a lot of time, but to be at a place where like, it's like, this is how I do it. You might not like the, the art, so don't hire me. Like that's okay. But it's still like a vulnerable piece of like, 
this is the original gift that I had when I was four versus something I learned, you know, and trained in um, later on. Not to say I didn't train. I spent a lot of time studying art. So yeah, these are really cool portraits. I recently had someone, they received one and she was like, I looked at it and I cried for 40 minutes because she's like, I've never been uh -huh. seen in that way. And she's like working with you because we do some coaching around the piece. So like you don't only receive the painting, you like will coach on it and be like, what is it bringing up? You know, like what parts of you are like, that's not me. Da, da, da. And she was like, I've never been seen and held in this way people just have always misunderstood me. And for you to like, see this part of like my childlike magical essence is such a gift, you know? And so, yeah, just to help people see that in themselves that like, no, you're not wrong or broken or not good enough. And like, yeah, there are things you do wrong, but we're all human. And there's a part of you that is like utterly magical, right? And beautiful and kind and brilliant. And so that's, what's really beautiful about it. Yeah, that's, that's the other thing I'm doing. <laughs> It must be super impactful to hear that from, from someone who you've been working with and, and like made some art for. That's, that's yeah. really cool. Um, my, I, thanks for, thanks for sharing uh, a spiel, which was uh, very, <laughs> very eventful and just a lot of fun to, to hear about. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, I'm curious, uh, like, like kind of a two-part question, but number one, the the process of like being in Malaysia and kind of like being in abroad and and at this retreat and kind of like like finding yourself and reinventing yourself and and having having these like just these awesome dreams and ambitions, and then you come back to uh, to the U.S. and like what was that transition like? Um, and then my second question that's not related is like, how do, how do a lot of the clients that you work with, uh, how do they like find you? Yeah, cool. <clears throat> hmm. Yeah, so first what you're saying, so yeah, experiences in Malaysia, um, how that affected me and then the transition coming back. Yeah, because you were, you were somewhere that was very different and, and you like went to this very transformative retreat and then you you came back to like the the environment that you had grown up in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that is um, that's the I think that's the pinnacle of like uh, what it means to have like developed or grown is to go back to that home environment and see how you fare. <laughs> right? There's like I think there's there's some spiritual teacher I don't remember the name. Um, but they're like, yeah, you think you've grown spiritually? Like now go hang out with your family and see how spiritual you actually are. Cause that's like the greatest testing ground, right? These are the people we've grown up with. Um, we have like, you know, sort of the most intense relationships, sometimes deep, deep love, but also sometimes deep pain. Um, and I will say having, so lived in Malaysia, I lived there for two years. It was an incredibly, not even beyond just that like transformational coaching retreat, it was a very intense experience of living in a different culture and um, yeah, just coming in with notions of what it means to be like a good person or values or whatever, like from an American perspective. And like, I was um, 
teaching at an all-Muslim school in a mostly Muslim community in a country that is predominantly Muslim, but there's also Chinese and Tamil Indian populations and the indigenous cultures as well. Um, and so it was really, it challenged all these notions that I'd sort of been brainwashed with growing up um, interculturally. And I think sometimes the beauty of travel and why I wish, you know, I wish for more people to have the opportunity to travel. And it doesn't even have to be a abroad it can be across the country like culturally New Orleans is very different from New York versus LA you know versus Texas you know even in the U.S. there's a lot of sort of cultural um, differences and um, I think it's when you get to go to a different place you are challenged in who you think you are right because you're amongst strangers and like they project things on you and, and whatnot but there's also a sense of freedom and that like you can reinvent yourself right there's not people who are like your childhood friends that are like oh but you always act like this like why don't you act like this now um and so i think in many ways i was able to just explore in a much more free way i think a lot of kids in college experience that too right they're not at home they don't have curfews and such um but coming back to the states it was i remember i remember coming back and my mom tried to give me a curfew <laughs> and i was like <laughs> I've lived abroad for two years. <laughs> like, you don't know what I was doing on a Tuesday night in Malaysia. I moved to Kuala Lumpur, just like a big city my second year. And it's a, it's some parts of the city are pretty gritty and like intense. I was like, mom, you have no idea what is going on. And she's like, you need to be back by 11 PM. <laughs> what is going on? Um, but then he didn't have that because he's the boy of the family, girl of the family. So anyways, different expectations. But coming back was hard because my family had notions of who I was from before I left, right? I was, you know, college graduate, da -da, like this is who they thought I was. And then I came back having gone through an intensive, you know, transformational experience and sort of had different thoughts and opinions and awarenesses and it, it shook things up, right? And this is, this is the challenge of there are two things to this. This is why it's it's valuable to go into spaces of different communities to heal and transform and explore. So you don't have old inhibitions holding you back. And then coming back into your original home space, it's like people have a web of dynamics and interconnectivity of like, this is the norm. Little brother acts this way, big sister acts this way, mom acts this way. Like you all have your roles that you've gotten enmeshed with growing up. And so coming back after having sort of shifted, it's like, wait, where do I fit in this web? Why are you saying these things? Like, why are you disrupting the family narrative or the community narrative of who we are, who I am, who do you think I am, what you're mad about, you know? And at that time I was particularly upset about childhood stuff that hadn't been addressed. So I, I upset my family a lot because I was like, this wasn't good and this wasn't good, you know? And, and that was a part of the growing process and the healing process of being able to you know, in childhood, I didn't have a voice to express again, some of the things that weren't great. Um, there's a lot of great things in childhood, but the things that weren't. And so I, I went through this process where I only could see what had gone wrong. Right. And what had like fucked me up a little bit in the head. Right. And then came back a little bit angry and sort of projecting that shit everywhere. And was like, you all fuck things up. Um, but that's part of the healing process, right? It's about finding your voice and it gets like really messy where you're like, I'm speaking up about injustice and all of this stuff, it shakes things up. Um, but sometimes in the upheaval that happens, 
people are invited to reassess like who they are in relationship, right? And like, you know, I think my family and my brother had to sort of reassess how they related to me. Hughes had life experiences where he's come back and we'd have to sort of reassess how we interact with him and like who, who he is growing into being. Um, and so it did shake things up. And, um, you know, now many years later, like, you know, my family's very excited about my career choices and like, you know, kind of curious about what the future brings. But at that time, it was a lot of fear of you are throwing your life away and you're going down this non-traditional path. Like, what does that mean? And I think, you know, the lesson here, there's a couple lessons. One is like, you know, to have compassion for when someone's going through that and for the family. I just have a lot of compassion for who I was and some of the like rough spots. Um, but then also my family for like having to deal with that. Um, but then also in the end, like only you can be the one to shake things up, right? People can often have the sort of victim mentality where it's like, because this was done to me, da, 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 like I'm the victim forever and ever. And there is, there is no growth in that space, right? So if I had stayed in this space of like, my family has like injured me and whatnot, like I wouldn't have been able to open up to the new possibility of different relationship dynamics that came out of that. Um, and so for people, like, you know, the message is be willing to stand up for yourself because my family, even though they love me so much, right? Even though Hugh and I are like Speak really for close, yourself. right? Like we are all different human beings, right? Even the things that were best for me on my path, like that advice is not good for Hugh because Hugh is a very different human being. He's wired very differently. He has different interests, right? And so my parents had a lot of things that they were very well-meaning about, but in the end, like I had to learn to not be the people pleaser, right? And the good daughter, like hopefully I'm like a decent daughter, but like not the people pleasing good daughter who sacrifices who she is to please the people around her. Because in the end, no one else can tell me who I am, you know? And so that I think is just the interesting process of what does it mean to have space to kind of discover yourself outside, bring that back into community, fight for that and it gets messy, but then also in the fighting for it come to a place where it's like, yeah, I'm cool enough with myself now. Um, now we can like reconnect, right, in a new way. Um, and so I think that like even with Hugh and myself, like, yeah, we've had some interesting, interesting ex trials and tribulations. Tell me more. <laughs> what are you right? talking about? And, um, <laughs> right, but I do think that we've grown in the process and like I have, you know, like I am in awe of who Hugh is now right? And who he is becoming. And like you both, yeah, yeah, like you both doing this podcast and like supporting each other. Cause from what I hear of you, you're like an awesome friend. So, <laughs> you know, and like you, you guys like, you know, like are thinking deeply and inviting people, you know, to talk through their lives. And it's just like, how awesome, right? And he was pursuing his career path that is very different from mine. And it's just really cool to see people sort of come into their own right um and so it's fun now like who gives me advice now like I do I have supported him emotionally but sometimes I'll be stuff in my business because he's more of a hard ass and I'm kind of like a little too soft with people and he'll be like no like make them pay <laughs> you know and so it's really fun to have like just blossomed in our own ways and be like yeah very separate different humans but like respect that 
you know, versus like the enmeshment of like, you must act a certain way and stuff. So that's like a really long-winded answer. I don't know if it was like specific, but I was trying to get to this, like, that's like the grappling of what happens. I think most people sort of experience that, but um, it's worth it. It's definitely yeah, worth it. Totally. Ah, thanks so much for, for sharing that. Um, and that all, all of that kind of led to the furniture job and then this and this. And then uh, my, my next question had to do with at what point did it make sense for you to step down from your, uh, from your, your like traditional job and, and like kind of like pursue the, the life coaching and arts full time? Yeah. Um, I do want to just pop in really quick. You have a flight. And oh, what yeah. time do you want to head out? Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. We can uh, head out. We can have like, 15 more minutes 15 more minutes okay sounds good yeah i'm flying out (laughs) (laughs) we're driving there i mean yeah i have my boarding pass and stuff um oh yeah okay so furniture transitioning okay um one of the things is that going into furniture design i knew in my heart that it wasn't my path so there were many times in that experience, like I worked my way up that job um, and was offered some very interesting promotions that were like pretty awesome. Um, that would have that would have incorporated some of my strength, but it was interesting because it was like, even through that, having the clarity that this is not right for my soul. That is how I make decisions. Some people might be like, that's out there. But for me, it was like, this is not aligned with my soul. I love what I'm learning, but I know that there will be a time limit on the amount of time I'm in this space. Um, and, you know, for people who are listening to this that might be struggling with like a career choice that isn't quite as fulfilling and they're trying to transition to the next one, it's okay to have a bridge job, right? It's okay to spend a number of years doing something that's not like the, you know, super, super duper star thing of your like life passions, but like it pays the bills and you learn a shit ton and it, whatever happens there, it will serve the next thing. So I remember during that time of like the three and a half years I was working there, kind of grappling with the part of me that was like, this isn't you living your purpose and being like, no, like you gotta be practical. And you're like learning a lot and, you know, just like do the thing and show up and like what will happen next will happen next. Um, So all through it, I kind of had that awareness, but showed up and like learned the lessons and was fully present in that industry. Um, but then there came a time the business was going through a transition. My boss was kind of thinking of retirement, right? They're restructuring the business. So it was sort of organically a time where the business was shifting in many ways. Um, and I had at that point, yeah, out, about the three and a half year mark, I'd finished my second coaching certification around sexuality and stuff. Um, and so it was like, it felt like the timing was starting to align where like either I had to kind of up level in that business, right. And kind of truly go all into that space, you know, or, or leave. Right. And so I was like, okay, I guess this is the time to go do that entrepreneurial thing. Um, and you know, what I will say is yeah, entrepreneurship is really hard. (laughs) (laughs) Entrepreneurship is really hard. Um, And I had a teacher once say that, you know, you know, there are many spiritual paths to growth um, and evolution, 
but entrepreneurship is a deeply spiritual path because the amount of like personal growth I have had to do by sort of putting my sort of passions on the line and sort of offerings on the line, like publicly and out there and try to like make a living from it. Like that has created some like pretty gnarly personal growth situations, right? Of like really facing the places that I have felt fear or have been afraid to be very visible and even more like it's, it's one thing to be opinionated at home with my brother and like, you know, be like annoyingly opinionated. And it's a different thing to be like speaking and teaching publicly, right? And then like sharing your services. Um, and so I definitely see this path as a continuing spiritual development boot camp, whatever like tough mutter triathlon. <laughs> um, but it is deeply rewarding. Um, and, and I think for people who are like thinking of that transition, you know, one, don't be afraid to have a bridge job. It's okay. Um, and it's okay if you take a few steps back, but also find community in the process. When my first, on my first year of, of business on my own, I mean, I was living with my partner, um, but I was like, I had like intense mental health stuff <laughs> because one, it was like, entrepreneurship as like working for my computer, like all my clients are online at the moment or, and they were at the time, but it was like a lot of isolation building on my own. It wasn't like in a tech company where I had like my, my four super starters or whatever, you know, that you like see each other all the time. It was like just me. And so like the isolation and like getting stuck in my head and like self-doubt spirals was like deeply intense as well as the shame and fear of like, if I don't make it, what will my family think of me, right? If I don't make it, um, yeah, like I'll have failed. Like I wouldn't, I, I would She'll not just have to come back and live with me. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. We'll have to like share a bathroom I'm as we're so doing right sorry. now. Awesome. Um, oh, dear. right. But like those fears are so real. And I know people deal with that. It's like, well, I have to go back to my old nine to five job or we'll have to do this or my family think I'm a failure. And that's fucking scary. Right. And intense, um, and stressful on the body and like all sorts of stuff. And so, you know, my advice to people is like, find community in that process. Like if it, perhaps if your family is not yet ready to come to terms with whatever, you know, ambitious or non-traditional choices you're making, like find people who are there, who will see you on the way. Um, Cause I remember I ended up joining this mastermind for like women business owners. And that was like a turning point for me where I was able to be with other people who were entrepreneurs, who were going through similar ups and downs. Um, and feel that I wasn't as alone and that like my fears weren't something to be ashamed of, but just like part of the growth process. And it wasn't like, you know, it's like you go into life thinking that being an A student is enough, but life is not about getting A's. Like it's literally so many failures and being courageous enough to just try shit and then like tweaking from there. Not glorious, not an A paper. There's no single answer, you know? And so like learning that there wasn't a single answer but that I could sort of fumble, but have support. Like that was so important. So, I mean, at any stage have, go find your community like that, that will change things. But yeah, that's like a little bit of sort of that transition. It's, it's intense. I mean, you both do like cool career stuff, like the journeys, it's just a journey. So. Yeah. If anything, I think community can be found through different passions that you have and or hobbies that you are interested in and then when you're there usually community is defined by just many different people of all different trades and walks of life 
And you can also pay for communities such as masterminds to be a microclimate and microcosm of very in similar individuals. And so that is one reason why it's sometimes paid for, but you can also find community through other types of mediums and or passions and then the people you meet there, right? Like currently at jujitsu, meeting firefighters and police officers, and they are super, super wise. So sometimes it's not just paying for um, a certain specific type of things. It's also knowing like, oh, community and wisdom and help and supporter from anybody and everybody, strangers, especially. Um, oh, yeah. Then, yeah. Well, definitely. Really cool. Well, because I think, and I won't go too long because I know we have a limited yeah. amount of time, like being someone who's in I'm in a helping industry, right? Which is kind of a complicated dynamic because like the people, like my colleagues, like we just want to help people, right? And be in service in some way, you know, helping mental health or emotional health, all of this stuff. And it's a profession that, you know, sometimes people struggle with like, why should you be paid to help people, right? Emotionally, right? And, and yet it is a very intense thing to hold deep emotional space for, for people. And it is also sad that in our society that the community, the natural community structures in some cases are not as easy to come by. Like there's, you know, people are just on their phones more often that people have to turn to paid outlets of emotional support and connection versus sort of free communal ones, right? And so that is something that I like think about in an industry where like I have paid to be in business masterminds, right? To have mental, emotional support with professionals. And in this past year, I've really cultivated some like friendships where like, I've like a hiking buddy who I adore and we just like, we talk life, right? And, and right. And then like in my dance community, there's Even like better. some dancers that I know and just like connect creatively that way. Mm. And so what does it mean to be nourished in community in like these different ways? Yeah. So like, I think as you're saying, like, it's so, it's so important. Like we do need structured support because mm -hmm. sometimes your BFF can't be your therapist, right? Or your life coach, because they don't deserve to have your trauma spewed on them all the time. And you don't necessarily have the tools to deal with their trauma spewed on you all the time. You sure Google doesn't work? <laughs> right? Google it. And like, we can't just pay out our need for human connection, right? Nope. How can that like genuinely be happening? So those are things that I like think about deeply and I'm like, how how do we cultivate more of that and sort of different different avenues? Um, but yeah, that's a whole other topic. Oh goodness, that's, that's where it's, that's the organic cultivation of community <laughs> goodness how does one do that and for a low price point <laughs> and or oh goodness whatever all right we're done with that one uh i i know we're i know we're running low on time but uh julie i wanted to give you a chance to to talk about like about like the kind of people that you work with and and um and like what like what art therapy slash life coaching like and like what, what you do, just just in case uh, anyone makes it to this far in the episode. Oh, I'm, I'm gonna, oh, I know. They're like, uh, snooze. No, whoever has made it this far, well done. Your life has now been transformed. Good oh on you for God. listening. Talk about an egotistical sister. No, no, those are, no, those are like the life coaches that kind of annoy me where yeah. they're like, transform your life. And Believe in yourself. Yeah, yeah, that kind of irritates Ugh. me because it's like superficial false positivity, but that's a different yeah. um, rant. Um, but anyways, in terms of how people can reach me and work with me, um, I work with people in a lot of different ways. The best way to stay in touch is on my social media. So my Instagram is 
julia.joyfulwild. Um, or you can check my website out www.juliaberryman.com. So those are the things you can get on my email list. Um, and then from there, the different offerings, I do one-on-one coaching with people. So I do three month or six month journeys, um, around embracing all of yourself. So I have, I've worked with yeah, tech people, engineers, mothers, teachers, um, creatives, uh, all sorts of people. And from like relationship development, like how do they show up in the romantic relationship, you know, with, with more care and love and an ability to hold their own emotions and their partner's emotions. Um, how do they fall in love with themselves more if they're in the dating scene or, you know, artists that have suppressed themselves and want to express themselves more. Um, a lot of different avenues for how I work with people, but the, the core is like embracing more of yourself and creative expression. So if people want to work with me, message me for that. Um, and then I also, I've been quiet on the work fr- workshop front, but I love leading community workshops. I'll often be teaching online things. So you can find out on my social media. I'll probably be teaching something in December around maybe December or January around like nourishment And as someone this past year, I've been kind of recovering from burnout. And so what does it mean to like re-nourish your body, understand how your body and nervous system works, learn to self-soothe, deal with stress cycles, connect to dance and art and stuff. So that's something that I'm envisioning coming up so people can stay tuned for that. Um, And then the other way to work with me, if you're Asian American, Arise is the other community that I've co-founded. It's called arise a-a-r-i-s-e community um on uh instagram and that we do a lot of events for um api folks around sort of leadership community development sort of social justice awareness i bring a lot of the creativity the somatic healing lens so sort of a holistic sort of empowerment space there uh yeah those are the the main ways to work with me at the moment. Oh, wait. And then my Celestine's portraits. If yeah, you want. The most important yeah. Part. Why you forget I don't about know why it. I forget that. It's the best part. I, it is, actually really is. Um, it's so good. Um, yeah, I have these soul lessons portraits. If you're interested, you can message me. Um, I think they're also on my website, but I probably will be opening some more spots in December or January. I'm actually working on a lot right now, so I'm trying to get those completed and then I'll open some more up. But yeah, those pretty darn good. I'll be honest. Yeah. I, 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 I saw like one or two and I'm not actually lying for once. I was actually pretty <laughs> impressed. So, yeah, really they're really, good. and they're fun. It's just such a good way of connecting with people. And for me as an artist, it's like every human is like the most unique creative prompt. Like I get the best creative prompts every time because everyone's different. So people are, have some weird things that come out and they're like, all right, cool. All right, right on. I'm happy for you. <laughs> yeah, people... I respect it. Like, nice. <laughs> yeah. If people are interested, they can check my website. I have like an art section and you can look at like art that I've done and some of my intuitive paintings and soul paintings and stuff. Um, so people can message me for that or like commission work. Uh, yeah. Or other creative collaborations. I'm down. We'll put all 14 links. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know my spiel is so long all the yeah. time, but it's okay. Just check my website and Instagram. That's all. Good. Great. (laughs) (laughs) And what are your words of wisdom condensed into the, uh, amount of time that you have left? (laughs) Yeah. Basically you're like, shut the fuck up and let's get done with it. Um, no, it's okay. Words of wisdom. Um, parting thoughts. Yeah. Parting thoughts. Uh, Part, no, I think parting thoughts is like, it's be willing 
to get messy and look at things from the lens of play because like if you're looking at things and being like wow this is just like a game I'm learning and iterating and like how fun that I have this life crisis to navigate on entrepreneurship like whatever like what would it be like to to explore things from that respect perspective versus like oh I did something wrong I'm not smart enough it's like no this is just this is all play this is create creativity at its finest your tableau or what is it canvas like you're just painting your canvas and putting splatters and blotches and all of it on there and whatever you put on there like that is art so like art is your masterpiece and that is your life so go forth and be creative you heard it here first <laughs> amazing well i guess this is that moment where we have to wrap up another episode of the moon tea podcast Julia, thank you for coming on. That was very last minute, I know, but hey, <laughs> thank I'm just you really both. happy to be here. Uh, it was, really cool it was so good person. hanging out with you or giving a speech to you both on this fine <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> that's that's what I signed up for. <laughs> cool. Well, um, tune in next week. This is a podcast where we talk about craft, community, and building meaningful careers. We hope you have a great weekend day week whatever it is whenever we post this who knows <laughs> and uh, see you next week bye peace